0: Free-thinking atheist witchy farmer, herbalist wise woman, obia woman, healer, off-grid homesteading hedge witch, living close to nature, black Hispanic, Afro-Latina, Jamaican, Honduran, Caribbean American, honoring and embodying the spirit of Queen Nanny of the Maroons. Born in the inner city of Boston, educated and came of age in the affluent metro-west suburbs, escaped to beautiful rural central Massachusetts in 2015. Welcome to Sweet Sage Homestead. Dead Farm and Path of a Green Witch podcast. My name is Andrea. Remember, Black Lives Matter and love is love. I really want to start recording this episode on herbalism, but I am still sick and I sound like crap. Whatever, I'm gonna go with it because part of the reason I've been researching these specific herbs is because I'm sick. So, again, I will try my best to sound as clear as possible. Today is Saturday. February 13th, 2021, and for anyone who cares, it is 12 degrees Fahrenheit outside. On the Celsius scale, that's in the negatives. It is 12 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's actually 12 degrees warmer than it has been. <laughs> This is going to be just a brief intro and overview of herbalism. What I want to do is intro nine specific herbs that I want to delve deeply into, and they are nine herbs that are highly recommended for respiratory issues and for the cold and flu. I am not a medical professional. I have no medical training. I am not giving medical advice. I am simply relaying information that I found that you could follow up with your doctor, herbalist, naturopath, talk to a professional about it, and do more research because I am sharing highlights of things. I don't want to read like word for word, every single thing that was written in a copyrighted book, So I'm basically sharing my notes and some of my opinions as well. I am gathering lots of information from a lot of different sources, but two of the books that I own that I am pulling some general information from for this episode are National Geographic's Guide to Medicinal Herbs, the World's Most Effective Healing Plants, and also The New Healing Herbs, the Ultimate Guide to Nature's Best Medicines, featuring the top 100 Time-Tested Herbs. That one is by Michael Castleman. I will include ISBN numbers in the description box for anyone who is interested in tracking these books down and purchasing them or borrowing them from the library for yourself. Herbal remedies have been the mainstay of folk medicine in many cultures throughout history, and they're still used by people in less developed countries where pharmaceutical drugs are either not available or not affordable. Generally speaking, whole plant preparations are less toxic than like your purified concentrated derivatives, and whole plant preparations tend to be effective and cost- effective for treating a lot of common health conditions. And actually, some medicinal herbs have uses that you can't get from pharmaceutical drugs, like milk thistle, which is Silibum marianum. So milk thistle increases metabolism of liver cells, and it protects them from toxic injury, like from drinking too much, or inhaling fumes of volatile solvents, or even from drugs like acetaminophen and some chemo. Therapy drugs. So milk thistle will protect your liver from injury and there are no pharmaceutical products that have those actions. Indigenous healers had to identify, gather, and process herbs that they thought were valuable. They knew the plant's growing cycles and they knew which parts of the plants to harvest and how to harvest them. People who are in the commercial herb business today Are actually equally knowledgeable. If you decide to start your own medicine garden, you need to make sure you pay attention to the species and variety of the plants that you're growing. You also need to make sure that you source the plants, whether you get them as roots, seeds, or whole plants, from reputable sources that clearly identify the plant's variety. There are some varieties that are developed for your hobby gardener that are different than those that are actually recommended for healing. So you want to compare the scientific species names, not just the common names. Make sure you're checking the scientific species names. And just like the vigor of flowers and vegetables will depend on the soil, the climate, weather, and growing conditions, the effectiveness of medicinal herbs will also vary from plant to plant, garden to garden, year to year. Let's talk a little bit about safety. Herbs can be potent. Make sure that you read labels and you pay attention to the recommended dosages. And make sure that you avoid combining herbs on your own. Do not combine herbs on your own. A lot of times there will be several different herbs that are recommended to treat one particular ailment. It is not recommended that you take all of the herbs that are recommended to treat that ailment at the same time. That is not recommended. If you use prescription drugs, make sure that you seek the advice of your doctor before you take any herbal remedies. You need to talk to your doctor about it because some combinations of herbs and pharmaceuticals can be dangerous or they can cause undesirable effects. Pregnant women and breastfeeding women should be especially careful about using herbal remedies and should definitely seek the advice of a medical professional before taking any herbal remedies while pregnant or breastfeeding. And before you decide to give herbal remedies to children, you definitely need to consult a medical professional who treats children. So there are many different ways of using herbs. Herbal remedies actually come in many different forms such as infusions, decoctions, syrups, powders, tinctures, essences, ointments, and poultices. So let's talk about what each one of those is. An infusion is generally a tea preparation. Plant parts and hot water are mixed for a short time to extract the essences of the plant parts. Decoction, a longer tea preparation. So with an infusion, you are leaving the plant parts in the hot water for a short time. But with a decoction, You're leaving the plant parts in the hot water for a long time, and you may even have them simmer. So, this is a longer tea preparation. The plant parts simmer in hot water for a longer time than with an infusion. So, decoctions and infusions are similar, but with a decoction, the plant parts are simmering for a long time. Syrup. With a syrup, the plant parts are added to sugar water or a honey water mixture. Powders are dried plant parts that are pulverized and they're traditionally pulverized using a mortar and pestle. A tincture is basically when essential plant components are dissolved in a water and alcohol solution. An essence is when essential plant fragrance is added to alcohol. An ointment is powdered or essential plant parts added to an oily substance such as olive oil, petroleum jelly, lard, and it's often mixed with beeswax. Some people call ointments salves. Poultices are fresh or dried plant parts applied to the skin with moist heat. So it's important to confirm that your herbal preparation contains a standardized extract. A standardized extract is the manufacturer's promise that from batch to batch, a measure and control are placed on the level of active herbal ingredients in like the tea, tincture, salve, or other products. Standardization assures proper, consistent, and effective levels. This measure is especially important in capsules and tablets, you know, pills that people generally take. That's a really common delivery method that's chosen by consumers today to just take a capsule or a tablet. So you want to make sure that the product contains a standardized extract. You want to make sure that you're getting a standardized dose. Some say, like in this book the new healing herbs, that everything old is new again. And basically what he means when he says that is all of the old remedies and treatments for ailments are being rediscovered these days. There was a time when Western medicine frowned on herbal medicine, but now it's becoming more mainstream. So here are a few examples. A report in the British Medical Journal was largely responsible for popularizing St. John's wort as an antidepressant. A major review of the Journal of Family Practice concluded that echinacea is an effective cold treatment. Studies published in Lancet have demonstrated the effectiveness of feverfew in migraine prevention. A study reported in the New England Journal of Medicine, which was once openly hostile to herbs, showed that cranberry juice helps protect against urinary tract infections. Recent reports in the Journal of the American Medical Association another traditional herb basher, support ginkgo for Alzheimer's disease and saw palmetto for benign prostate enlargement. Herbal medicine has gone mainstream. Even though herbal medicine has gone mainstream, it's important to understand that herbal medicine can be potent. There have been about 30 people who've died after taking Chinese ephedra, or ma huang. So these were thrill seekers who started taking mega doses of the herb like hundreds of times more than a responsible herbalist would recommend because they were in pursuit of an acetaminophen-like intoxication. I have no idea what acetaminophen-like intoxication is because as far as I know acetaminophen is Tylenol and you get no intoxication from that, you just get death. Anyway, healing herbs are the primary medicines for two-thirds of the world's population. Even in the United States, 25% of all prescriptions still contain active ingredients derived from plants. Coffee is America's favorite morning stimulant, but it's also an effective bronchial decongestant. So maybe you should try a cup of coffee next time you have a cold, or you could try it as part of an asthma management program but you should definitely consult with your physician first. Some people use coffee to increase their stamina or assist in weight loss, minimize jet lag. Tea is less stimulating than coffee, but it's also an effective decongestant. In addition, tea is a good source of fluoride, so it helps prevent tooth decay. And some animal studies suggest that it may help reduce cholesterol. Okay, so that's interesting. I guess I kind of noticed that like, I'd go and get my coffee and then my congestion would clear up a little. And I attributed that to the fresh air. I didn't know that it was the stimulant that I was drinking. So enlightening. (laughs) And you know what's funny? It shouldn't be so enlightening because I highlighted that in the book. That means that I read that before and I probably read it like two or three times because I highlighted it, but somehow it still left my brain. Here we go. Coca-Cola began as an attempt to develop an herbal headache remedy. Did you know that? Coke was invented in the 1880s by an Atlanta pharmacist who stocked the tropical cola nut because 19th century physicians prescribed it to treat respiratory ailments. An article in the Journal of the American Medical Association suggested giving cola drinks to children with asthma because they prefer them to standard asthma medication. So I'm sure that was a really long time ago, like, you know, in the 1800s, because I don't think people are recommending Coca-Cola or kola nuts for asthma anymore, but I could be wrong. Parsley garnishes are another echo of herbal healing. People used to munch on parsley to freshen their breath after meals. Parsley is rich in a breath-sweetening plant pigment, which is called chlorophyll. And that's where we get the chlor in Chlorette's breath mints. The tradition of having a mint after dinner harkens back to ancient times when people sipped mint tea after feast to settle their stomachs. So now let's go over a couple drugs here for a moment. The word drug actually comes from an early German word, drog, meaning to dry, as in drying herbs, which is the first step in processing herbs into medicine. So, aspirin was originally created from two healing herbs, willow bark and meadowsweet. And in fact, meadowsweet's old name, spirea, gave us the spirin in aspirin. So, spirea is where we get the name for aspirin. And and spirea was actually the old genus name for meadowsweet. Pseudoephedrine was developed from the world's oldest healing herb, Chinese ephedra, or ma huang. So Chinese physicians have prescribed ma huang, or ephedra, for 5,000 years to treat chest congestion. Thousands of years ago, people noticed that several herbs helped treat tooth pain, and now we know that tooth decay, and gum disease are caused by oral bacteria. Science has shown that herbs traditionally used to treat dental ailments actually kill these germs. One antibacterial herb is peppermint, which is why peppermint oil, or menthol, is an ingredient in many toothpastes. Another is thyme. Thyme's active chemical is thymol, and it's actually an ingredient in Listerine. Metamucil is made almost entirely of psyllium seed. Cascara sagrada is the active ingredients in Stimulax, Cumphilax, and Cassavac. and Movacol owes its laxative action to Buckthorn. So all of those are laxatives that are derived from herbal products. Did you notice how a lot of children's medicine is cherry flavored? Like cherry-flavored cough syrup or whatever, the cherry flavor is actually no accident. Native Americans treated coughs with wild cherry bark, and we're actually still using wild cherry bark today. Headache specialists now recommend feverfew to prevent migraines because several well-publicized studies have shown its effectiveness. Many physicians now suggest ginger to prevent motion sickness and the nausea associated with cancer chemotherapy because a study in the respected British medical Journal. Lancet, showed it prevents nausea better than a standard treatment diphenhydramine or dramamine. Many cardiologists now recommend a diet high in garlic based on studies showing that it is remarkably effective in reducing cholesterol and other risk factors for heart disease. Surgeons routinely spur the healing of surgical incisions with preparations containing a chemical extracted from comfrey, allantoin, and some gastroenterologists now recommend a slightly modified form of licorice for ulcers based on studies that show it to be about as effective as the standard treatment cimetidine or tagamet. Healing herbs even play a role in cancer chemotherapy. Two substances extracted from the Madagascar periwinkle, vincristine and vinblastine are now used to treat childhood leukemia and Hodgkin's disease. So we need to keep in mind that responsible herbalists consult physicians and use pharmaceuticals appropriately. For some conditions, all you need is an herbal remedy. For others, you can mix and match several approaches. But, of course, there are many conditions that require professional care, and those include things like high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, congestive heart failure. Healing herbs can still play an important role in your overall treatment plan, but they need to be complements to standard therapies, and you must consult with your physician. So, there's a legend that the first herbalist, or we should say one of the first herbalists, was China's mythological emperor Shen Nung from around 3400 BC. And it's said that he died when he took too much of a poisonous herb. So those who ignore herbal history sometimes live to regret it. So we need to keep in mind that before you ingest any healing herb, make sure you understand how to obtain it and prepare it. Because remember, an infusion is not a tea. So you need to really understand the different ways of preparing healing herbs and make sure that you're getting standardized dosages of the active ingredients as best you can because we know that the potency will vary from plant to plant and you should keep that in mind as well when you are taking these herbs. Before I close out this episode, I want to talk about evidence that we have of herbal healing from like 5,000 years ago. So here we go. I'm just going to get into this one. This is About a mummy that was found in Italy, in the mountains in Italy, the Alps, and the man died over 5000 years ago, but his body and all of his belongings were very well preserved. It was noted that he had medicine with him. So this, I guess, is some of our oldest documented medicine. And it's not just documented. That's the cool thing. We actually have the medicine that he used and it took a little while for scientists to understand that it was medicine. They knew that it was important because of how he carried it, but they didn't immediately understand understand why he carried it until they later did further tests and found that he had a parasitic infection and he was using this medicine to treat it. Here I will share From Magic to Medicine, 5,000 Years of Herbal Healing, and this is from The New Healing Herbs. In 1991, on a glacier in the Italian Alps that had melted back to an unusual extent, hikers stumbled on a dead body. It turned out to be the naturally mummified body of a prehistoric man who had frozen to death some 5,300 years before and whose remains were preserved in the ice. Dubbed the Ice Man, he's been studied by Italian anthropologists anthropologists ever since. He wore straw-lined leather shoes, leather clothing, a thick coat made from woven grass, and a bearskin cap. He carried a wooden bow, a leather quiver filled with stone-tipped arrows, a flint-bladed knife, a wood-handled axe, a copper blade, and a food pouch that still contained dried deer meat and a prune. The Iceman's pouch also contained two mysterious cork-like lumps about the size of walnuts that were pierced through and strung together on a leather thong, indicating that they were of value. The lumps turned out to be bracket fungus, Piptoporus betulinus, one of many mushrooms that grow in shelf-like plates on tree trunks. This species of fungus contains agaric acid, a potent laxative, and an oily resin that is toxic to some bacteria and intestinal parasites. The scientists. Studying the Iceman had no idea why he would have carried Bracket Fungus until, in 1998, seven years after the discovery, a painstaking autopsy of his digestive tract turned up the eggs of an intestinal parasite, Triturus trichiura, in his rectum. It now appears that the Iceman knew he carried the parasite, which causes abdominal pain, and was using bits of Bracket Fungus to treat his condition. Given its laxative and anti-parasitic action, the fun- fungus probably provided some benefit. This discovery ranks as the world's oldest documented example of the practice of medicine, and it suggests that prehistoric humanity was more medically sophisticated than previously believed. After all, the Iceman or someone else had diagnosed his malady correctly and had recommended a reasonably appropriate treatment, an herbal treatment, around 3,300 B.C. Okay, so that was a little synopsis of the finding of the Iceman, which I think is really cool. I remember seeing really cool photos of of the mummy when I was in school. So yeah, it was kind of a new discovery when I was a kid. And now they have found out so much more about him. And I think it's really cool that he was using herbal medicine to treat an issue that he was dealing with. I mean, parasites are problematic and he had a way to treat that problem, which is pretty cool. So the word herb comes from the Latin for grass. To an herbalist, the phrase healing herbs applies to every plant with medicinal value. Prehistoric sites in Iraq show that the Neanderthals used yarrow, marshmallow, and other herbs about 60,000 years ago. Animals played a key role. When animals appeared ill, they sometimes ate plants that they ordinarily ignored, Humans watch this behavior and they notice the curious effects. Like, it may have caused wakefulness, sleepiness, laxative action, increased urination, and so on. And the herbs that caused these effects were incorporated into prehistoric shamanism, and that later became medicine. During the Middle Ages, when Europeans believed that bathing was unhealthy and farm animals often shared human living quarters, homemakers spread aromatic strewing herbs to freshen the air. The perfume industry still creates most of its fragrances from herbal essences. So these days we know that the oils that give aromatic herbs their fragrance and flavor contain antimicrobial compounds that kill many food spoiling disease causing microorganisms. We also know that rosemary and sage have food preservative actions comparable to that of commercial preservatives like BHA and BHT. I have a lot more to share about the history of herbal medicine and herbal medicine in general, but before I get into that, I want to dive deeply into the nine herbs that are recommended for respiratory issues. Those are astragalus, echinacea, elder, eucalyptus, licorice, mullein, pelargonium, sage, and thyme. I am going to devote an episode to each one of those healing herbs. I'm going to talk about the history of its use, how it's used, and everything else I can find about each of those specific herbs. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode informative and entertaining, or at least somewhat enjoyable. This is... Path of a Green Witch Podcast. My name is Andrea. Thanks for listening.